Thanks for joining us for the Belgium Community Church Sermon Podcast. Our current series is called Not Alone. Even if we are surrounded with people, many of us feel alone at Christmas. Something or someone feels missing. But if the Christmas baby is truly God with us, then that means that no one is alone this Christmas. Where does joy come from at Christmas? Where does joy come from at Christmas? Is it from things? Is it from more things that we can buy? Because the deals are better? Because we've been saving up all year? Because somebody thinks of us and gets that perfect sweater with our name across the chest? Does Christmas joy come from getting more things? Maybe. Does, does, there's, does Christmas joy, does joy come at Christmas because our family gets together, because our boss gives a Christmas bonus, because somebody says, good job. So this Christmas season becomes the season of popularity. Things are better because everybody's together and there's peace on earth in my family, in my workplace. Where does Christmas joy come from? Does it, does it come from things in my life are under control this Christmas for the first time and so I can be happy because I have control this year. Christmas is at my house because I'm getting my way and doing my things. Each of these are areas that we're tempted with at Christmas to try and find today. From possessions, from popularity, from power. Each of us are tempted to try and find joy in something going right in one of these areas. So we can often get to Christmas and go, actually, none of these things are satisfying. This year, maybe, maybe my personal life was under control and maybe my work was good and maybe my possessions were increasing, but honestly, it just wasn't good enough this year. What's missing? That's what we're going to be exploring in this next month as we lead up to Christmas. That oftentimes we go into Christmas with high hopes for joy and we end up with something that's just not quite there and we don't know how to name it. This year we're going through the book of Matthew specifically Matthews 1 and 2, looking at the Christmas story from Matthew's perspective. And and that's what Matthew is concerned with. He's actually concerned with a rock-solid joy for God's people. So go ahead and turn with me to the book of Matthew. Today we're going to be looking at the, the beginning of Matthew, which can be really easy to just gloss over, skip over, it's a list of names, but I don't think we can understand the Christmas story well if we miss what Matthew is trying to get across. Because you see, if you find Matthew chapter 1, it's okay if you use your, if you use your table of contents to find it, but if you flip over to the left, you find a book called Malachi. You find the Old Testament just one, maybe two pages over to the left. And that page in between represents 400 years of silence for God's people. That, that, that empty page is like 400 years of people's hopes and dreams being that God would keep His promises and all they got was an empty page and silence. If we just jump into the Christmas story as if it's just, okay, well here's the Christmas story and we miss the fact that the Old Testament is God making promise after promise 
God making promise after promise, and then 400 years of silence. Then we, we end up missing how heavy with expectation the book of Matthew is. Because we, we get to this point, Matthew was a, a tax collector called by Jesus who goes to follow Jesus, and he writes to the Jews to say that Jesus is the Messiah. And we see that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So 400 years of silence from God, 400 years of the promises not being fulfilled, and then we get Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, Help us to see that even lists of names have much to tell us about where we can find true joy at Christmas. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew is a tax collector writing to Jews to say, Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so what he does in verses 12 through 17 is then lay out the connection between Jesus and not only the great heroes of the faith, but between Jesus and the promises of God to his people. And what I want to show you today is that Matthew chapter 1, even this list of names says rejoice in Jesus. That Jesus is the one that we rejoice in. And he gives three reasons to rejoice in Jesus. The first one in verses 2 through 6 is rejoice because it is Jesus that blesses you. Verse 2 says Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of you go, Joe, why did you just read us a name, list of names of their sons? Fathers and their sons. What, what Matthew is doing is he's laying in verses 2 through 6, pointing the people of Israel and us to God's promises, to God's promises to Abraham and to the world. You see, he, he starts with Jesus' connection. Abraham, Abraham the father of Isaac, walking from Abraham to King David. Now when Matthew does this genealogy, there's a few different ways that you can do a genealogy. You can do a genealogy just like, like the exact names of the fathers and the sons saying this is the record. What he's doing here, this is more of a stylized genealogy where he skips some generations because he's making a point about who Jesus is, is connected to. And so some of these is more the father, it's more like the, the ancestor of he skips a few generations because he's trying to make this point in kind of poetic form on Jesus' connection to Abraham. And when he connects Jesus to Abraham, he's connecting for us the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment in, from Genesis 12 of God's promise to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, God promises Abraham, I am going to give you a son, not a son of your servant, not a son of your wife's handmaiden, not a son that you can make happen. I'm going to give you a son of a promise. It's going to be a miracle, Abraham. And I am going to use that line to bless the whole world. 
right here in Matthew. Matthew is drawing attention to the fact that Jesus is the descendant of Abraham, the promise of all, the fulfillment of God's promise to bless the whole world. Not just one family, not just one nation, but in Genesis chapter 12, God promises to Abraham and promises to the world that there will come a baby that will be a blessing to the entire world. This is that baby. Matthew is making the point. This is the promised baby that God promised to Abraham. And so he's going to draw attention. Hey, this is God's blessing to Israel, but it's also God's blessing to the nations. And you're like, how, do you, how are we sure that what Matthew has in mind, the nations? It's because he includes a few really weird people in this genealogy. Notice, he, he's saying the father, the father, the father, but he picks out Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. If you're not familiar with the story, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and then Jacob had this great son named Joseph. God didn't keep the promise through Joseph. He instead kept the promise through Judah, who kept his his family line alive by sleeping with his daughter-in-law, fathering twins by his daughter-in-law. This is this shameful detail. You don't include Tamar as as the, the one that the promise comes through. Except that when God keeps His promise, He keeps mistakes, screw-ups, sinners like Judah. He not only includes him, but He also includes Sam and the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab was a Gentile woman who had no claim to the promise. She was a prostitute and an innkeeper in Jericho. And Matthew's including, yes, God is keeping His promise to Israel, but He's he's including women like Rahab who have no claim on the promise because God's vision is actually to bless the world. Not only does he include Rahab, but then the next line, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was another woman from the wrong country. The promises don't apply to her. And yet, Ruth is included in the family line of Jesus because at Christmas, Christmas is about Jesus, the Lord, blessing the entire world, including Women, you wouldn't normally include in the list. Gentiles that have no claim on the promise. Mistakes and screw-ups like Judah. Like you and like me. The part, like part of Christmas is that it is a specific blessing. God keeping His great promise to the whole world. Nobody is outside of that. This is God giving His very best for the whole world. For you. For me, how can we know that this is true? How can we know that this is for us? The book of Matthew is going to lead up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's going to end with a message. Go and make disciples of all nations. God's eyes are actually in this baby on blessing the whole world. How can we make disciples of all nations? It, it starts with the beautiful simplicity of the gospel, that God who makes the world and is in charge of everything, who promises to punish, to discipline, to drive his enemies away forever, that he comes in this moment as the baby Jesus, grows up as the man, lives the life that we should live, dies the death that we should die, so that the promises of God can be ours as we repent and trust in Christ. And so why do we rejoice at Christmas? Because Jesus 
is actually come to keep God's promises to you and to me. Jesus is a blessing specifically for you in this moment. 2 Corinthians says that all of God's promises are yes in Christ. Jesus is God's way of keeping his promises for you, to you, and to me. And so we rejoice. The second reason that we rejoice is because in Jesus, the Lord reigns. Verses 6 through 11, this, this line from David to the exile in Babylon is the line of the kings. David, father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Talk about mistakes. He's including in the line the fact that David committed adultery. This is the line of the king. This is for people like Judah, and for Rahab, and for Ruth, and for David, who carries on the line of kings with somebody else's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers. At the time of the exile to Babylon. This section of this genealogy This is the line of the kings. This is say he has said in in verse one that Jesus is the son of David. And what he's pointing to is the fact that Jesus is the true king of Israel. Second Samuel chapter seven is where David says, God, I'm concerned that your 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 dwelling, your Ark of the Covenant is in a tabernacle. It's in a tent. So I'm going to build a temple for you. And God says, no. I don't need anything from you, David, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to bless you and I'm going to establish your line of kings and one day, one of your descendants, I will establish his kingdom forever and it will never end. Matthew is making the point that Jesus is that descendant of David. Jesus is the one whose kingdom is never going to end. If you look at the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus died with this as the charge that here is the king of the Jews. And so why do we rejoice at Christmas? Because no matter what's happening at Christmas, if life is going badly, if 2019 has been a horrible year that you just want to see ended, if the next year looks scary, this passage says rejoice because Jesus reigns. He's he's not going to step off the throne. His kingdom is not going to end. God has kept his promise. And this is the king who reigns over all. So what does it mean? It means that he's going to rule righteously in your life today, in this week, in this next year, in the next five years, and the next ten years, because 2 Samuel 7 says that his kingdom will not end, and this passage says this is that king. His kingdom is not going to end. And so nothing that you face this year means he's going to step off the throne, stop ruling, stop being in control, stop making the right decisions, making the right or the wise decisions, You're never going to step into a situation in which Satan is the one that's in charge, that he's the one that's running things. What else does it mean that Jesus is the king? It means that the kingdom of God has come. That we're not just living in the kingdom of this world, in the kingdom of Satan, who has power over us. Though the Bible does say that this this is the kingdom of darkness. But this says that in the middle of that kingdom, a new kingdom has begun. And it's not going to end. 
and that you and I get to raise children, repenting and trusting in Christ that is the kingdom of God growing a little bit at a time. The, the life of our church is the life of the kingdom of God growing in this community and in these communities. The work that you do with and for Jesus is a part of this kingdom that does not end. And so we can rejoice because the king has come and his kingdom is here. It's kind of hard to think of Christmas in terms of kings because we've only ever lived in a world in which we reject kings. We vote for leaders. And we vote leaders are temporary. Like the only life that we've ever known is this temporal leadership where people come and people go. But if you wait long enough, everybody dies. We say we don't want to go back to a world in which somebody, by virtue of their birth, gets to rule forever and tell us what to do. And so it's hard for us to imagine this being true in this world where leaders come and go, where we choose leaders and we vote leaders in and out, and we can complain about things. This passage says that Jesus is the king. Nobody's going to vote him out. Nobody's going to change that. He's not going to decide he doesn't want to do it and abdicate his and he's going to live in and through us. And his kingdom will have no end. So the, this, this passage says rejoice. Because God is ruling and reigning in your life. The, the, the promised king of Israel. Better than David and Solomon and Rehoboam. And Elijah. Better than all of those. He is ruling and reigning in your life right now. Even with all of those things that you would change. He is here, and his kingdom will have no end. And so we don't rejoice in possessions or in our own power. We can rejoice in his power. We can rejoice that the, 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 the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The third reason that we rejoice, we rejoice because the Lord Jesus is a deliverer. The final section, verses 12 to 17, walks from the exile to Babylon to Mary and Joseph. At the end of the line of kings, if you're not familiar with that part of the story, at the end of the line of kings, because Israel and Judah had disobeyed God and rejected God for generations, God sent them off into exile for 70 years. Then he regathered them and they, they never had a king again. And they, they rebuilt the temple, but it was just not right. And it wasn't quite good enough. And so then this, the passage picks up in that period of time and says, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Notice that name, Zerubbabel. He was named after the exile to Babylon. Like that's how formative it was for them. They named their son after the worst thing that had happened in their history. He says Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, and Abihud after, the, or the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathon. Mathon, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile in Babylon. And 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Joe, what's the point of 14? 
Why, why did he stylize this in 14? It seems that the perfect number was seven, and this is like doubly perfect. And so he's just pointing them to the fact that Jesus is the perfect Messiah. In the exact right time, God sent his deliverer. Not a day late, not a moment late. And so he, he reminds us that Jesus, who is called the Messiah, that's the term that Matthew uses constantly for Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Oftentimes we think of Christ as Jesus' last name. But this is actually a title. That Jesus is God's promised deliverer. Matthew 16, 16 is where Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, on that rock, I will build the church. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the one who in the book of Ephesians delivers us from the kingdom of darkness. Jesus is the, the one who in the book of Colossians makes those that are estranged from God reconciled to God and members of his family with a bright and hopeful future forever. Jesus is the deliverer from God that has come. Not generic, not, oh, God will one day deliver. No, Jesus is the Christ, the deliverer. So the call to us is, can we rejoice and say, hey, I am actually delivered. Jesus is the Christ who delivers me from the domain of darkness. Jesus is the one that I can rest in because he's my deliverer. Jesus is the one that delivers me from fear. And Jesus is the only one. I've been telling my kids about old musicals that we used to watch growing up. And one that I've been singing a lot is uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. And it's the story of like seven rough and tumble brothers whose parents died, run a farm, have no manners. And uh, one of them goes and gets a wife and didn't really know what he was bargaining for when he married her because she's just like, I'm not going to live in a family with no manners. I'm not going to live in a family that's this rough. And so she kind of reforms all of them. And after they get manners, there's still that part of them that there's still that part of them that doesn't really know how you behave in polite society. And so they fall in love with some women and inspired by Greek tragedy, go and steal them. They go and steal the women, kidnap them, take them back to their house and blow up the past so there's an avalanche on the only route into their farm. Ultimately, it ends up happy because the girls fall in love and all that stuff. But I was thinking about that, that story because the whole thing, the story doesn't work if there's multiple ways to their farm. The story doesn't work because the girls' fathers and brothers and friends and other suitors would have come in to attack the brothers. But because of where they lived, there was only one way in. And so they have to wait until spring before they can try and go and get the women back. And I was thinking of that story because here in the book of Matthew, that starts with one man, Abraham, and it finishes with one man, Jesus. Jesus is the deliverer and the only deliverer. Just like in that story, there was one pass in and one pass out. In this story, Jesus is the only way to be delivered. And so Matthew's concern and our concern has to be, can we rejoice because God has delivered me and he's the only way to be delivered? reminded of John chapter 8. It says the, the one whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so at Christmas, we get to celebrate not just that Jesus came but that Jesus delivers. Jesus delivered me. I'm reminded of, we've been decorating our house with some Christmas lights. 
And it's not as far as along as I want it to be. But I, we put up lights, and I was like, I want this to bring joy to my neighbors. And I, I looked at it, and it was like, there's something missing. There's no content. It's twinkly lights. That there's no message that says, joy to the world, let your king has come. The deliverer has come who can deliver us from all that we have to be delivered from. So why do, like, why do I rejoice at Christmas? It's because my deliverer has come. My king is reigning because God in Jesus has blessed me. Specifically. So what about us? What about those of us that go into Christmas, like I had started out saying, I want possessions, or I want popularity in my family. I want power in the world. That's what I want for Christmas. I don't want Jesus to be king. I don't want Jesus to deliver me. I have all of these other things on my Christmas list that I would rather have. This is, on some level, this is good news for us. But on another level, I see in all of the ways that I am not rejoicing in Jesus. And I'm just happy with things. So where is the good news for you and I? Who, look, who come to Christmas wanting so many other people and things and events to make us happy when we're offered joy in Christ. How can we be delivered? Jesus is the one, Jesus is the Messiah who blesses us because he was cursed of God and hung on a tree. Jesus is the one who rules and reigns because he took our place and died as a rebel. Jesus is the one who delivers because he gave himself as a servant, a suffering servant for you and for me. And so we have, can be bought and delivered from all of those other things that we've wanted to clutch onto, all of those other little idols. Because Jesus, the Christmas baby, fulfills all of these things in our place. And so why do we rejoice at Christmas? We rejoice because Jesus this Christmas. Then we can begin to imagine what does that look like? A deep-seated, overflowing joy that's not phased by gifts, that's not phased by family, that's not phased by what's happening at work or the, the out-of-control of our lives. Instead, we have a deep-seated joy rooted in the genealogy of Jesus. The, the promise of Abraham the King of David, the Messiah, who's come for us. Pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We, we thank you that you offer us deep-seated joy rooted in the real world, in real people, and in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so glad you joined us for Not Alone. Please connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and at BelgiumChurch.com.